0: You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer.
1: Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, In our last lecture, we were finishing up with Isaiah 54, but did not quite complete the chapter. Uh, So we've got a lot to talk about today, so we can finish Isaiah 54 and then begin to talk about Isaiah 55. So let's go ahead and get started. Picking up at verse 13. All your children shall be taught by Yahweh. And great shall be the peace of your children. Now, again, remember, when we're talking about children, we're talking about the children of God. We're talking about the sons of God, the ones who are sons of light, not the sons of darkness or the sons of disobedience or the ones who have the devil as their father, who was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. But instead, those who have been born from above, who have been given the right to be sons of God, Those who receive, that is, believe, in the name of Jesus, have this right. And, of course, in the waters of holy baptism, we have the promise that we have become children of God. And, in particular, sons of God, heirs of the kingdom, adopted by grace. Now, in this passage in particular, notice that all your children shall be taught by Yahweh of course, an interesting in John chapter six, in which Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. And truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Now Notice that Jesus is quoting from the prophets. The prophets teach that they will be taught by God. Of course, this is a reference directly to this passage in Isaiah. Now, remember, all the prophetic writings are in concord. They're in agreement. They are of one voice. And this is the voice from the mouth of the prophet Isaiah. All your children shall be taught by Yahweh, and great shall be the peace of your children. Well, again, Jesus quotes and says, and they will all be taught by God. Of course, Jesus himself is God. Jesus himself is Yahweh that he's the one who comes from the Father. The Father has sent the Son. And the Son, that is, the second person of the Blessed Holy Trinity, is the only begotten Son, who is begotten of the Father before all time. He is literally of God, being of the same divine essence of the Father, being consubstantial of the same substance as God. For he is truly God, he is truly Yahweh, he is God in the flesh, he is Emmanuel, God with us. And here he is teaching his people. When Jesus speaks, he speaks the words of the Father. For Jesus is sent by the Father. When you hear the voice of Jesus, you hear the voice of the Father. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. When you are taught by Jesus, you are taught by the Father. Of course, the Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father. But here in the passage in Isaiah 54, all your children shall be taught by Yahweh, and great shall be the peace of your children. Now, going back to Isaiah 54, picking up at verse 14. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. Now, in this verse, we want to focus in on the phrase, in righteousness. Now, remember, back in Isaiah 53, it is out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. And by the knowledge of him, the righteous one, my servant, many shall be justified. That is, accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities they are accounted righteous. That by faith, that faith in Christ is counted. It is credited. Righteousness is imputed to them. And this, of course, is the Lord's doing. This righteousness is from him. Now, later on at the end of chapter 54, we will have the clear testimony that their righteousness is from me, declares Yahweh. So you see this is an external righteousness or an alien righteousness. It is the righteousness of God that comes from faith. It is the righteousness of God that is imputed, credited, accounted, and given to us as a gift, a free gift. It's by grace alone that we receive this gift from God. So it's this righteousness that comes from God that we're talking about. Now, we want to keep that in mind as we continue in the passage. So, picking up at verse 15, if anyone stirs up strife, it is not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of Yahweh, and their righteousness is from me, declares Yahweh. Now, again, look at this passage. If anyone stirs up strife, The promises in the book of Romans that teach us that the one who has faith in Christ is justified, and therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, of course, in Romans chapter 8, we are told that therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And that's why we can say with Paul, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Of course, that's Romans chapter 8, verse 31. And then it's the same chapter that says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now, Again, if anybody stirs up strife, if anybody contends, if anybody tries to overcome the church of God, the gates of hell shall not prevail against God's church. In fact, this is precisely what happened to the Christ himself when he came to bring his kingdom. They tried to cut him off from the land of the living. They tried to prevent his kingdom from coming, but it was to no avail. And so God is the one who does these things. God is with us, for God comes to dwell and to be with us as Emmanuel, And as the Christ comes and accomplishes that for which he has been sent, so then also those who are in him have the promise that the one who began this good work will complete it on the day of salvation. Now notice again this promise. If anyone stirs up strife, it is not from me, says Yahweh. For whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. This is the promise that God will keep us, guard us. He will protect us. But God is the one who will see to his desire, see to his purpose and his plan. For again, if God is for us, who can be against us? None of these things can separate us from the love of God. Can famine or strife, uh, can uh, death, can the sword, nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. As Paul says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, can that separate us from the love of God? Of course not. For God is the one who comes to save us, to rescue us. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see, the promise here is that God is in control. He says, behold, look and see, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. The idea of a sword, of something that's going to come against you. I have also created the ravager to destroy, but no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. You See, all these things will come against the church as the world hated christ the world hates the church but yet the world cannot prevail against the church that god himself has established now they may claim that they're even from god but they're not the smith and the craftsman all they are is just idol makers they just take fallen creation and they try to use it for their purposes God, of course, promises that all things will work together for the good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Now, note here that in this text, we have the plural servants. It is only possible by the singular servant, the suffering servant. For again, Christ is true Israel. He is the faithful servant. Now, we have all, like sheep, gone astray, each one of us to his own way. But he is that Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. He is the faithful servant, obedient to the point of death on the cross, the suffering servant. So, the servants in the plural are only made possible by the servant in the singular. So that from the one true faithful servant— we become faithful servants. From one comes many, and he shall see his offspring, that is, the children of the promise, just like Isaiah foretold in chapter 53 at verse 10. Now, one more thing we want to note in closing on this chapter is that in some versions, this chapter translates this word zedekah, this Hebrew word, as vindication. But we want to translate it properly as righteousness, that their righteousness is from me. Again, this is what we began to talk about before, that an alien righteousness has been imputed to us, an external righteousness. It is a received righteousness, not an achieved righteousness. This is the righteousness of God that is by faith not by works. It's not something that we have come to do and accomplish. It is something that he has come to do and he has accomplished. Again, in Isaiah 53, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By the knowledge of him, the righteous one, my servant, that of course is Christ, the suffering, faithful servant, many will be accounted righteous. That is justified because he will bear their iniquity. Now previously back in Isaiah 45, it is in Yahweh that all the offspring of Israel shall be justified. That is, declared righteous, accounted righteous, imputed with the righteousness that comes from God, the righteousness through faith alone in Christ alone. So that again in Isaiah 45, it is in Yahweh, in Christ, the offspring that is the children. Now it is at this point that we want to transition into chapter 54. But when we bridge between these two chapters, it is most beneficial to note the observations that Reed Lessing makes in his commentary on Isaiah. That the righteousness that is won by the suffering servant, that's the suffering servant, the faithful servant in the singular that we see in chapter 53, is now bestowed on the servants in the plural here in chapter 54. So that you see the direct connection and correlation between the person and the work of Christ in Isaiah 53. He wins righteousness. And then in Isaiah 54, you see the distribution of righteousness, that this righteousness comes from Yahweh. It's an external righteousness. So again, chapter 53 tells us that by the knowledge of Him, the righteous one, in the singular, my servant, in the singular, many will be accounted righteous. That is justified. And then in Isaiah 54, in righteousness you shall be established. And then you continue and you end on the note, their righteousness is from me, declares Yahweh. Now here in chapter 55, the servants, the righteous servants, those who are righteous by faith, are encouraged to receive these benefits. The benefits that Christ has won on the cross for us. The Christ has taken our iniquity away. Our sin was imputed to him, and his righteousness is imputed to us. All of our wickedness is declared to be his, and all of his blessedness is declared to be ours. So when we look at chapter 55, we want to zero in on verse 7 that emphasizes the pardon and peace that he brings. So that the Lord declares, let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to Yahweh that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You see, this is the language of judicial action that in the divine tribunal, That the law cannot justify, but it's God who justifies, that is, declares innocent. He abundantly pardons. He declares righteous. He says, those who are guilty are now acquitted all for the sake of the person and work of Christ, that lamb who takes our sin, bearing our iniquity, and it's by his wounds that we are healed. So now in Isaiah 55, the servants are encouraged to receive these benefits. Now remember, we were talking about the unfaithful servants of Israel before this. Those are the ones who would not see, the ones who would not hear, compared and contrasted to the true servant of Yahweh, the one that we are to behold, the one who has ears to hear. And then for his sake, we are being recreated and renewed by the work of the Holy Spirit in the power of the gospel. That we are given a new mind, a new heart, new ears, new eyes, so that we begin to see correctly, that we begin to hear rightly, that we begin to believe all the promises that are fulfilled in Him. So, with the invitation, this gospel invitation to the servants of Yahweh, to those who had been. Going astray to those who did not listen, now the word goes out to listen in a voice of invitation, saying, "'Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price.'" This is the free gift, freely given to us all for the sake of Christ. Now, take note that this word of invitation goes out to the thirsty, but it's the thirsty who have no money, the thirsty who cannot pay the price. But now look at this in contrast to Revelation chapter 3, where we hear the voice of Jesus echoed, where Jesus says, to the church of Laodicea? For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Now Again, notice the similarity in the echo here. The words of Isaiah 55, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now notice this unusual way of talking. That you are to purchase something, that you are to buy something, that you are to do this without money and without price. So the same way he says that you are to buy for yourself gold, that you are to purchase this white garments and clothe yourselves and solve to anoint your eyes that you may see, but you do this without price. It's actually a free gift. It's a grace freely given. Now, if you think about this, back in Genesis chapters 42 and 43, remember how Joseph, who had risen to the right hand of Pharaoh, when his brothers come to him during that famine, they buy and they purchase the grain and he gives them the grain. So in essence, they buy without money. They buy without price. They're given both the grain and their money back. Now, going back to Isaiah 55, "'Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread?' And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast sure love for David. Now in this passage, notice the imagery of buying and purchasing food, both of food and drink, that you are to come to God, is the one who provides the bread. But also notice this, this contrast here, that you are to listen to him. Listen to me diligently, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me and hear. Why? So that your soul may live. You see, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Therefore, why are you laboring for that which perishes? You See, the physical bread is temporary. It's temporal. And you eat of it, and you will need to eat of it again. It can only sustain you physically, but not spiritually. Now, notice this connection again between spirituality and physicality, that you've got the understanding of physical bread and physical drink, that when they go through the the rituals of the people of the land, when they try to worship in the style of their contemporaries, the Canaanites, that is, these are fertility cults trying to produce rain from the sky, from the heavens above, of course, then produces the grain from the ground and the wine from the vine. This is all related to the physical and the spiritual. Their false worship, that is their idolatry, is connected to to their use of the land in trying to gain the favor of God. For idolatry has caused the Israelites to be thirsty and hungry. Of course, we know this in more than one way, that through the prophets, they would come to the people and tell them about the curse, that God would curse them if they did not listen to his voice and if they broke his covenant, that the curse would be no rain from the sky, that there would be no grain from the earth, that there would be no wine from the vine, that they would have a wake-up call and understand that something is wrong because the blessings of the covenant were vines with grapes that they never even planted, that they would drink plenty of wine from, that they would have the crops and the grain and all of the rain from the heavens. Their idolatry has caused them to be thirsty and to be hungry, both, of course, physically and spiritually. Physically, they had the famine where they did not have the physical bread to eat. They also had the famine of God's word. They did not have the spiritual bread to eat. They had labored after that which does not satisfy. They thought that if they went through the ritual practice of the Canaanites, they would get their earthly bread, which, of course, would then make them receive the favor of God and have heavenly bread. But all it has done is just cause them to be hungry, to be thirsty, and not to be satisfied at all. I mean, this is what false worship does. It leads you to fallen creation, and where sin reigns, there's death, and death takes us back to the dust. From dust we came, and to dust we shall return. This is what idolatry, false worship, does. It cannot give life. It does not have God's life-giving word. Again, idolatry is false worship without God's word. Without God's word, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is no salvation, and there is no Savior. There's no promise of Christ. Instead, all they have is these images of false gods. So that's what the idol makers do. They make gods in their own image. Remember back in Isaiah 44, the iron smith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. And then he becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. It's even the mockery in this False worship is these idol makers who are putting forth all of this labor, that they're laboring after their worship. They're making their gods in their own image. And as they do this, they grow weary and tired. They become hungry and they become thirsty. Of course, there's a play on this, that both physically and spiritually. Isaiah continues to make the mockery in chapter 44, saying that he then feeds on ashes, A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say. Is there not a lie in my right hand? You see, they are laboring for that which perishes. So you have the direct connection between false worship, making you hungry both physically, it's not going to provide you the grain and the rain that you're looking for, And of course, also spiritually, it's only temporal. It's not going to give to you the gift of eternal life. Yet Jesus has the words of eternal life. Jesus is the one who says, everyone who drinks of this water, that's the physical water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Or later on in John chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And again in John chapter 7, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Do you hear the voice of your Savior in Isaiah 55? Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come. Come. Buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me here. That your soul may live. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening, and may our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.